0: This episode of the Flathead Beacon podcast is brought to you by Swenson Real Estate, service before self. With over 30 years experience, they've seen it all. Contact Jeff and Lorena today at 406-253-0033. That's 406-253-0033. Swenson Real Estate, service before self. Hello and welcome to the Flathead Beacon podcast. I'm Andy Viano. In just a few minutes, I will be joined by Brian Bebb. He's the executive director of the Glacier Queer Alliance for a conversation about the two-year-old nonprofit he leads and what his reaction and the Flathead Valley queer community's reaction has been to bills proposed by local lawmakers during this legislative session that specifically target transgender youth. Brian spoke last week with my colleague Tristan Scott for this week's Beacon cover story called Community of Inclusion about the efforts local advocates have undertaken to support LGBTQ, transgender, and non-binary individuals. Tristan's story delves into a lot more than the conversation you're about to hear, including details and context on the bills being proposed and interviews with a pair of local faith leaders who have taken the lead on supporting the LGBTQ community, something that comes in direct conflict with one of the religious justifications some legislators use for promoting their beliefs. And stick around later in the show when I'll run through the biggest local news stories from the last seven days that you may have missed. First, a reminder that all of the work we do at the Flathead Beacon, including this podcast, is made possible in part by the Beacon Editors Club. Members of the club contribute as little as $5 a month to keep our work going, and they qualify for some great perks, too. To join the club or learn more, visit BeaconEditorsClub.com. All right. It is my pleasure to be joined today by Brian Bebb, the executive director of the Glacier Queer Alliance. Brian, thank you so much for making time to uh, come up
1: here and chat with me. Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: So we are talking about Tristan Scott's coverage in this week's Flathead Beacon of a handful of bills that are making their way through the Montana state legislature that I think have been fairly described as targeting trans individuals, both involving their ability to participate in youth sports and in high school sports, and in the availability and accessibility of, of medical treatments. And, and I don't want to get into to detail necessarily on those bills, but as someone who works with the, uh, the queer community, and certainly including the trans community, Brian, I wonder what your reaction has been and, and what uh, the, the folks you work with's reaction has been in the last few months as this legislation has been proposed, discussed, and, and continues to, to move forward through the legislative process.
1: Yeah, it's been a real mixed bag of, of responses and emotions. You know, I think a lot of the teens and young adults in their early 20s are feeling super targeted and it's super disheartening for them some of the older community still being 20s and 30s and older you know are a little more used to sort of shrugging the burden that others try and place on them so like it definitely impacts them and feels really sucky but they also have the logic and the experience to know that in theory, these should not be able to pass the Montana Supreme Court. In addition to what's happening on the national level, these should not like take hold long term. Now, that being said, we also didn't expect them to stay alive this long either. So there is mounting concern about what the near future is gonna mean in, in terms of the legal aspects Also our community knows and Glacier Queer Alliance has really worked on connecting to other groups and resources, not only here in Flathead Valley, but across the state. And despite what's happening in, in legislature, we are seeing a lot of support for the LGBTQ and specific transgender and non-binary folks coming from our community, you know, in the Valley and statewide.
0: What, what are some of those programs? Because I know there, there's one that's gone around to a number of local businesses who've been able to, to sort of publicly show their support for the LGBTQ and, and transgender non-binary community. What programs are out there? What form has the support taken that, that you have seen in the last couple months?
1: Sure. So there's a quite a few state-level organizations, uh, Montana Human Rights Network, is one, um, and they have coordinated with other agencies and legislators to create easily accessible, actionable items. And so they've done a lot of work to get people to email and call legislature and just voice that they think this legislation is hurtful and wrong. And that looks, what that looks like is 4,000 or more individuals writing per day. And then the proportion for And against these bills is strongly skewed towards the against urging, you know, by like four to one. So there's a lot being done vocally. MHRN then also worked, uh, I believe, in conjunction with Pride Foundation. Pride Foundation runs a list of businesses called Open to All Montana, and they just reached out to all those businesses and asked if they could list them as vocally opposed to the legislation. And that was produced and is accessible on MHRN.org's website. Really, Glacier Queer Alliance's take is that we want to support those actions and really enforce that local support network. So we are undergoing some outreach and partnership potentials with a lot of these businesses that have been vocally in support just to give those groups and our community access to each other, you know, in those variety of ways they support so
0: i wonder how important the fact that local flathead valley businesses have been supportive is because of the fact that some of this legislation in fact much of this legislation has been proposed by legislators from the flathead valley and, and supported not entirely but in large part by uh, by other members of our legislators that have have gone out to helena i mean what does it mean to folks who who maybe feel targeted by people in their own backyard to also see that in that same backyard there are people who are are, are strongly supportive
1: it's it's really uplifting and I hear reports from both community members and people in those organizations just report back like hey uh, since we started supporting we've had a lot of people come in and say thank you and you know, vice versa, like, hey, I'm good to know, glad to know that this service is being provided by someone that's, that's supportive, and I don't need that right now, but I contacted them and thanked them. So those connections are being made in the community, and it's, it's being supported a lot in the make your voice heard through your dollars kind of movements. I want to go back, Brian, to something you said
0: earlier about maybe the the generational gap in how people responded to this, where people in their teens and early 20s may be a little bit more caught off guard, and some older folks, not to put words in your mouth, but maybe less surprised that that not only would this legislation be proposed, but this sentiment be out there. Because I think regardless of what happens down the road in, you know, whether these get signed into law or whether they or survive legal challenges. Clearly, there is a portion of the the legislature, and and hopefully a minority, but a, a portion of the greater community in Montana that is is saying out loud, "We we don't welcome you. We are we are not, you know, we are we are not supportive." What can that older generation do? to be reassuring, to uh, be supportive, or, or is there anything to, to say to folks who maybe right now are scared or are feeling unnerved by, by what they've seen going on in, at the state level right now?
1: Well, there's, <laughs> there's a lot in that. <laughs> so generationally, first off, the teens and, and 20-somethings are, are a lot more... F- fluent, and comfortable with social media, which is a double-edged sword. In a lot of regards, they have a stronger understanding of their identity than older generations did sooner. They can connect to that queer, you know, kind of national or international community and really see that acceptance and support that is out there in a lot of places. And then the double-edgedness of that is that they, in social media, you can sort of create your safe queer Twitter or your queer Facebook even, you know, um, you have a lot of control. And so then, especially with this not just happening in Montana, but a handful of other states, when something passes or pushes forward that's negative, it, it ripples through that safe space in a really jarring way, and. I think especially to the under 18 crowd, like they really feel at the whim of older folks. And to them, since they've experienced that support and familiarity with the culture, they want to imply that upward in, in the generations. And it, it doesn't truly amplify that way, especially in this community. Uh, one of the big struggles that GQA has is that the community seems very age divided. Mid 20s and younger 20s into the 40s, and then a 50 and older crowd. And I think that those middle aged and elder queers and trans folks, specifically the ones who are 55 and older, really lived like harder for our community and more aggressively negative times, whether or not it was legislative. So not that that makes them fear what's happening any less, but I think they also have a longer perspective of like how this might play out versus the teens who have no say in voting or legal actions. And so I just, I don't want to minimize that the middle aged or, or older groups aren't feeling attacked or terrorized. I just think in the youngest demographic, it just seems more dramatic because they have. Less perspective and less control. Let's talk then about some of what GQA
0: is doing to support folks in the community who, who are a little more jarred by this. I know there was an event recently at the Calico Art Center right down the road from us here in downtown Kalispell. Can you tell us a little bit about what that event was, how that came about, and, and I
1: guess how it went? So we did a project that we're calling Notes of Love. And, you know, I kept hearing reports from you know those keeping tallies at the legislative letter level that you know thousands of people per day are writing state lawmakers to support our community. but like then those lawmakers like hit archive and those words never go anywhere. and it just occurred to me that those of us who are having our rights debated need to hear that support and that people are arguing for us. So we did a big discussion with our board about how best to do that and talked about, is it worth doing an action item, a petition or mailing these to the legislation? And like what we decided was, no, there's, there are groups doing that. Like that is being done by the thousands every day. What we want to do is give those same people opportunity to share those words through writing or art directly with the community. So we produced a series of five by seven, you know, very large size postcards. But then the event at Calico was just to give access to the community to give support to LGBTQ folks, both locally and across the state. And then we are sharing those Um, every couple of days. We post a few just to kind of like, Share that love and keep that uplifting support in the eyes of our community, our our main Facebook and Instagram pages, you know are public, and so we have followers on the international and national level there, and so that just felt like one of our best actions we could do is to give access to sharing that directly to the community and it was a really amazing event. I was really surprised at how many folks turned out whole families came in. Some teens on their first date made it part of their first date to come, you know, make cards of support. And we had community members as young as three there drawing pictures and stuff like that. So that was super, super amazing. I met some youngsters who are queer or questioning as young as seven and eight. And to me, that was really amazing to see that they felt like they couldn't vote, but they could share their love and encourage other people. And so uh not gonna lie, I cried several times that day (laughs) and I, you know, feel a little affected just talking about it. But we do hope to include those in like a photo album that we can have at events for people to flip through. And it's something that we're looking at continuing at other events as we go forward. It's it's kind of grown like a lot of things we do starts out what seems like simple and then A really good output and outcome from it. So
0: yeah, no, that sounds that sounds like an amazing event. And you said people who want to see some of those can go on the the GQA Facebook or Instagram pages and see some of uh, what was created that day.
1: Yep. Uh, So day of we did some big photo dumps, so you can flip through a majority of them in one or two posts there. But we are as we go forward, a couple times a week, we'll release some just to keep them fresh and give focus to the individual. Pieces that were created. So,
0: And I believe as well, I, I said it'd be remiss if I didn't say that there's a, an array of those cards, actually, is the cover of, of this week's Flathead Beacon. So you can see some of those there too if folks go out and pick up a, a printed copy of the paper or even jump online. Well, Brian, I will let you go here in just a minute. But before I do anything else, anywhere else, folks can go who either want to show their support or people who are in the LGBTQ community that want to find out more about what GQA is doing. Or, what other resources are available out there for them?
1: Yeah, so they can always reach out to me at our info at glacierqueeralliance.org email, regardless of whether they're just looking for information or looking to connect with other community. We do so. Facebook is one of our better ways to connect. We have a public page that's super accessible, and we do a lot of education, posts, and sharing of action items on that. And then We do have a variety of private groups that are directed at, you know, special interests like games or, you know, different social crafts. Uh, And then we also have a transgender and non-binary group that meets regularly. But you can ask to join those. Those are great ways to connect with smaller groups of our local community. And a few of those are super active. And then as we move forward, we are looking at expanding our schedule of small groups as well as educational program that programming we'll be doing coming up. So another thing is GQA is offering trainings to businesses or organizations, and those focus kind of around decoding the alphabet soup and becoming more comfortable with the vocabulary that is frequently used in our community. Um, And then they also have a section geared towards using pronouns and also how to be better allies. But if you're interested in getting that, you can contact me at that phone email.
0: Brian, thank you again so much. It's been great to talk with you and, uh, and appreciate you making some time. Sweet. Thank you. Thanks again to Brian Bebb, the executive director of the Glacier Queer Alliance, for joining me this week. As Brian mentioned, you can find out more about GQA at GlacierQueerAlliance.org or by finding Glacier Queer Alliance on Facebook and Instagram. And you can read Tristan Scott's cover story, Community of Inclusion, in this week's Beacon, available now for free on newsstands throughout Northwest Montana or online at flatheadbeacon.com. And before we get to this week's headlines, Dr. Mark Remington of Glacier Eye Clinic has a message from our sponsor this week.
1: I've known Jeff for probably around 20 years. Very good friend of mine. He's
0: helped me both personally and professionally in the real estate market. He is super ethical, super knowledgeable. He's prompt. He'll return your calls, and he'll steer you in the right direction. As a friend, he's been service before self. Contact Swenson Real Estate at 406-253-0033 today. And now, here are the biggest stories from the last seven days as of 10 p.m. on Tuesday, April 6th. Glacier National Park announced last week that it will be implementing a ticketed entry system for going to the Sun Road this summer, making official a decision that has been bandied about by park leaders for years as visitation of the park has steadily grown. Beginning May 28th, visitors hoping to access the park's famed thoroughfare must have a pre-purchased $2 road ticket in addition to their park pass. The day-use tickets can be purchased beginning later this month at recreation.gov, with approximately 75% of tickets made available 60 days in advance. The remaining 25% or so will be released two days in advance to accommodate spontaneous local visitors or those from so-called drive-in markets. The ticketed entry system applies only to going to the Sun Road, not other access points at Glacier Park, and it is currently in place only for the 2021 season, which is expected to be particularly challenging because of a surge in visitors newly freed from COVID-19 travel restrictions. We talked on this podcast about what was then a proposed ticketed entry system just two weeks ago. And you can go back and listen to that episode, On the Road to a Record Year, wherever you're listening right now. In other news, Senator John Tester stopped by Kalispell last week to promote the nearly $2 trillion American relief plan he helped vote into law last month. Tester was joined by Flathead City County Health Officer Joe Russell and Kalispell Public Schools Superintendent Micah Hill at Kalispell Brewing Company one of the countless businesses that received a loan through the Payroll Protection Program last year in order to keep their staff employed. The so-called PPP loan program was extended via the American Relief Plan, which also calls for roughly $20 million to be delivered to Flathead County and another $5.95 million to the city of Kalispell, money that will be used to continue to fund the community's response to COVID-19 including the ongoing vaccination efforts that have thus far led to more than 15,000 Flathead County residents becoming fully immunized, according to the latest state data. Elsewhere, a 30-year-old Browning man pleaded guilty in federal court to a grisly murder on the Blackfeet Indian Reservation more than a year ago. Jason Avery Matson admitted he killed an unidentified man who visited his trailer in March 2020, leaving the man's dismembered body to be discovered in a remote area of the reservation. Matson later called law enforcement to admit his involvement in the crime, but when officers came to arrest him, he took a woman hostage and threatened to kill her as well. Matson, who also pleaded guilty to felony kidnapping, will be sentenced in U.S. District Court in Missoula in June. And finally, the South Calisbell Volunteer Fire Department will be asking voters to approve a new operational levy next month in an effort to construct a new station for the fast-growing department. The new station would be located on property donated by the family that owns Gardner RV and would cut response time for residents along the so-called Airport Road Corridor, according to Fire Chief Chris Yurkis. South Kalispell currently has just a single fire station on Willow Glen Drive in the eastern end of the district. The volunteer department covered 500 calls in 2020. Ballots for the levy will go out in May. That is our show for this week. Remember, you can read more about all of these stories and catch up with the latest breaking news for free on our website. That's flatheadbeacon.com. Until next week, thanks for listening.